It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Jason Breifel, Senior Policy Advisor for Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Long-Term Care Partners, the who administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. Today, I'm joined by guests from industry and government to, to discuss human capital issues. They're working as part of the American Council for Technology, Industry Advisory Council, ACT-IAC, Human Capital Shared Interest Group. I'm joined by Mika Cross who is the government chair for the Shared Interest Group, who is a telework and work-life expert um, across the government, who last year received the Mike Causey Federal News Radio Award for her significant contributions to human capital across the government. I'm also joined by Jeff Neal, Senior Vice President for ICF International, also the author of the blog ChiefHRO.com and a former Chief Human Capital Officer at multiple agencies. Uh, our third guest is Bill Fisher. He is the industry chair for the Human Capital Shared Interest Group and the president and co-founder of Growth Matters. Thank you all for being here with me this morning. Really excited about our conversation. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm delighted to be here. Well, you know, before we we dive in, you know, why don't uh, we just provide our listeners uh, a little bit of a, a background about about each of you and uh, kind of the work that that you all bring to the the this uh, this community, the shared interest group that ACT-IAC has, focusing on human capital issues, and and lay out some of the the the, the priorities that y'all have developed for the year and the, the issues that you have been talking about in the past and we'll be talking about this year. Well. I'm really happy to be talking about the uh, Human Capital Shared Interest Group because it's such a unique opportunity, really, to bring together industry partners and uh, government leaders who are interested in these topics around strategic human capital initiatives, programs, policies, and what we can do collectively, really, to share resources, leverage best practices, and, and really enhance some of the initiatives that we're already working on just to share information and resources, something that, you know, traditionally... Um, is a challenge because of time restraints and also, I think, capabilities to do so. So the human capital SIG, as we call it, is, is just a wonderful way to really bring together thought leaders and people who are interested in certain topics um, to talk about what's going on. Um, I guess to discuss the challenges that are sort of unique to some agencies, maybe not so unique across government um, and also industry, and, and to think about ways of doing things better and more effectively all the way around. So. I, I just recently joined the Human Capital SIG as the government chair, and I was really humbled and honored that, that they asked me to do so. Um, it's been very valuable because I've been able to reach out to colleagues and folks that I know across government who are doing some really amazing things and provide them the opportunity to come together once a month to showcase um, some of these uh, initiatives and, and topics around the government advisory panel's strategy for the year. And I think Bill can talk a little bit about how we assemble that and 
what we decide on as far as topics, but it's just a really unique blend to kind of showcase that public-private partnership overall. Sure. Um, so I've personally been involved in um, addressing human capital issues. Uh, it's actually scary to say now for 15, 16, 17 years. Uh, I was just thinking um, I really started to get involved um, in human capital projects when I was a graduate school intern at Federal Student Aid uh, way back in the day. And I'm proud to say that I was the Bravo uh, Student Intern of the Month. So made sure to add that to my resume. <laughs> Uh, but at that time, I was um, getting involved in pulling together um, an employee uh, portal to communicate uh, HR topics. And so kind of stumbling uh, or starting, not stumbling, starting from those humble origins, uh, I've been involved in on the industry side in addressing human capital issues um, as a consultant uh, and as recent executive uh, at uh, SRA International and Circo working with government um, to uh, try to rethink and reimagine HR and HR service delivery. Uh, actually, one of my proudest accomplishments uh, working with OPM uh, was to develop the original business case for the HR line of business. So people can either thank or, or blame me for that. Um, but, but going back to the uh, ACT Act and the Human Capital SIG, um, so as Mika mentioned, it's an opportunity for uh, government and industry to partner together to um, talk about sort of the pressing human capital challenges of the day, as well as try to look a little bit further ahead and, and start to uh, collaborate on uh, how government and industry can um, uh, kind of get ahead of uh, um, um, you know solving some of the unique challenges that are coming forward. Uh, you know, we, again, kind of have a humble goal of being the, the TED talk, if you will, for uh, for HR and, and IT. Um, so we set that modest goal, and I think we're, we're starting to make some progress on that. Uh, so as Mika mentioned, you know, at the beginning of every SIG year, we assemble our government advisory panel, uh, and that includes senior HR executives from OPM, uh, Department of Interior, HHS, uh, Agriculture, just to name a few. And uh, we spend, uh, you know, about an hour and a half, two hours together, um, kind of reflecting on uh, topics that we think would be of great interest to our community, uh, both on the on the industry side and on the government side. Um, again, kind of touching upon both both pressing issues and also again kind of looking forward uh, into the future. Uh, it's no surprise that one of the most pressing topics is around reporting and analytics, and I, I'm sure that we'll you know, talk about that uh, during the time we have uh, together this morning. Um, you know, how do we mine data to get actual intelligence? What are some of the new leading predictive analytics tools? Um, you know, there's an initiative called HR Stat that OPM has been piloting. You know, what's the status of that and, and how can agencies take advantage of that? Um, investment in learning, uh, and then how do you measure the return on that investment as learning moves from both traditional environments to more social-based learning uh, constructs. Just had a panel on massive open online courses, or MOOCs, as they're more affectionately known as. Uh, how can government capitalize on that? Uh, industry, I think, is really starting to pilot uh, how to adopt that particular uh, learning um, opportunity, how can government start to capitalize on that a little bit. Uh, credentialing and certification, we've got an upcoming um, panel discussion on that, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. 
candidate assessments as an effective recruitment strategy. And then finally, last but not least, uh, social HR, right? So how can HR take advantage of, uh, you know, emerging social communication uh, technologies to uh, really accelerate and make the um, entire HR life cycle a little bit more of a dynamic uh, experience. Um, Great. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Bill and Mika, for kind of laying out the ground uh, on both the uh, the industry and government side. And and Jeff, you know, given uh, your experience as someone who, uh, both as an uh, executive within the government and, and now uh, on the industry side, um, I'm glad to have you as part of this conversation to uh, to add uh, to add your insight and, and how these two connect together. Thank you. Uh, it's really interesting having been in government for 33 years and now being in industry for three and a half years. I, I do still have trouble not thinking of myself as part of the government. You know, it was it's such a big part of my life. And what I've found since I left government is I have the opportunity to be um, much more forthcoming about my opinions about some of the things that we could do to help make government better, uh, particularly in, in some of the areas that, that Bill mentioned. Um, data analytics is a great, a, a great example where the, the government is sitting on these massive data stores of employee information. And there's a lot that could be done with that information, but most agencies uh, put the information into systems, but they don't take it out and do anything with it. Uh, I'm also really concerned about talent management in government uh, and how we go about getting the right people into government, developing them while they're there, and retaining them. Uh, and then once we've got them there, uh, what's going on with employee morale? If we look at the, the most recent Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, we see there are some agencies where morale is great, where people are very engaged, uh, really good responses from the workforce. And then there are other agencies where uh, morale is not good, and it's going in the wrong direction, and it has been for the last three years. And so, so those are things that still concern me that I'm still very interested in. Uh, I think the ACT-IAC the, the SIG is, is a great way for people in government and industry to talk about some of these issues and to, to share information, and it provides a really great forum for doing that. Well, perfect. And, you know, I think that uh, those conversations around uh, morale, data, talent management are um, what we'll be, we'll be talking about after our first break here. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Continue our discussion on human capital after this break and a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today we're discussing human capital from the industry and government perspective, and we're joined by uh, guests from the ACT-IAC Human Capital Shared Interest Group. 
uh, before the break, we had uh, laid out what, what the group is working on and, and some of the big issues of the year. And uh, well, we're just going to dive right back into that. And uh, Mika is going to let us know some of the, the priorities that the group has, has determined to work on and, and, and how they've been addressing those issues with some recent and upcoming events. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, um, in fact, we just had our, our most recent panel. We're getting ready, actually, to have our next event uh, pretty soon here next week, I think. Um, but we, we actually meet every single month, and we have a different topic du jour. And oftentimes, it's, it's a collective um, mechanism or, or, you know, it's, it's a vehicle for us to figure out how are we going to meet the goals and priorities of what we set each fiscal year that Bill was talking about with our help from the government advisory panel. But sometimes that kind of morphs and evolves as what we're learning um, is happening and what's trending across government, you know, comes to light. And so recently, um, the last session that we had was focused on creative hiring and innovative hiring strategies. And it was a great panel. You know, we brought people from the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Um, we had folks from the intelligence community at NGA. Um, and, and it's a really wonderful opportunity not just to talk about all the things that we're currently doing well, but what we hope to focus on in the future and maybe some things that we haven't even solved yet. So, you know, it's a safe haven for us to really look at the challenges that collectively we're all faced with and figure out strategies and conversations around how we're going to do that better. And most recently, we've also started um, ensuring that our events are made available for those outside of the Washington, D.C. area. Of course, that's important as, you know, the majority of our federal workforce are really outside of the Beltway. Um, so keeping in mind how to connect and ensure that we can bring in conversations. I think we had someone from the ATF in Texas mm -hmm. um, who chimed in at our last event. So we try to connect them virtually through teleconference and also through um, webinars and video teleconference that, that are live. And then we're able to host them on the website afterwards as well. Um, so that's been a really unique opportunity to kind of bring together feds from across the country. Um, and my hope is even maybe, you know, around the world, wherever they might be in different time zones and in different countries as they're serving America to kind of talk about these issues, bring in different um, perspectives and really share that collectively across the SIG. Sure. Yeah. So uh, last month, uh, to echo what Mika said, you know, you, you bring in um, panel members and we primarily try to bring in, you know, folks from from government um, to talk about um, pressing challenges. And so last month we, you know, we talked about um, creative hiring and uh, retention. And uh, what was interesting is, uh, you know, there's a lot of energy and focus on, uh, you know, shaping the uh, employer value proposition to uh, attract candidates, you know, to these particular agencies. Um, uh, and then when we started to talk about uh, retention, uh, you know, we quickly learned that while there's a lot of energy put forward in the sort of in the beginning of the process to attract, recruit, and actually hire uh, candidates, that uh, sometimes if you're not thinking carefully about what that uh, sort of customer experience is for <clears throat> recent hires is after they get in through the door, that you can be increasingly at risk of losing those candidates uh, who have uh, who are bringing in different expectations about what their career and what their work experience uh, should be like. Um, so you know they're not expecting to walk in and you know sort of be told, well, here's your desk in the corner and you're you're going to be there you know for the next 30 years. I mean that's you know that's not the mindset that they're walking in with. And and I not to overgeneralize, but Certainly, that's not what millennials are, you know, walking in with that with that mindset. Um, so then we started to pivot and have a broader conversation about, 
um, you know, creating a dynamic employee experience, right? So there's a lot of conversations happening today, primarily in the realm of IT uh, around um, creating um, a rich user experience uh, for citizens or employees who are using uh, digital tools. And I think that whole mindset and concept has kind of started to break out of that, you know, more traditional space of around talking about digital IT to thinking about, you know, how might we create uh, a dynamic uh, uh, employment experience for our people, right? Uh, not just from, you know, when they walk into the door, but all the way through, uh, you know, even retirement. And um, it kind of sparked, you know, some new thinking amongst the panel members where they said, you know what, we haven't really thought about it in that way. Um, we kind of, I think, kind of made people's kind of head tilt a little bit, which is kind of what we want to happen, right? I mean, Absolutely. we want people to uh, to think a little bit differently um, about how they might address a particular challenge. Um, and so I think one of the big takeaways there was, uh, you know, uh, let's think about how we can again, create a great experience for people as we're attracting them and recruiting them and onboarding them, but kind of think about it through the whole and, you know, entire life cycle. And I think that was kind of a new way of thinking that we certainly weren't walking into the panel with, but we certainly walked out of the panel um, with as well. As a matter of fact, Mr. Neal uh, was actually the uh, moderator for that panel. So um, not to put you on the spot, Jeff, but I'm sure um, you've got some additional thoughts to add to that. Uh, I, I do, and I actually agree with you completely on the on wanting to focus more on the user experience. You know, I started looking at that as um, as somebody who used to run large HR organizations. And HR, it, it's funny when people think of HR, they think human resources. It must be a very people centric organization, and they must think all the time about how their customers deal with them. And, and the reality is that that's just not true. Um, HR tends to be one of the the more difficult to approach organizations in in a lot of agencies. And a lot of what what we do in HR isn't designed with the user in mind. It's really designed from the mindset that you know you probably have a hundred people applying for every job you have, and so you should try to make things easier for the people doing the hiring and the people running the process. Not necessarily for the for the applicant, and that mindset then extends to other things like how we handle benefits programs, how we handle uh, counseling people for retirement. There, there's so many aspects of of HR that that have the opportunity to be high touch uh, exchanges, and and they're not particularly user friendly. And I, I think it's really important for people in the HR community, in particular, to start thinking about what the experience of the employee or the applicant or the hiring manager who's interacting with them is. And I think if, if we did that, we would find that we could turn HR into a real uh, value add and really part of the value proposition of an agency. Mm. You know, I was, I was very happy that at the Defense Logistics Agency when I ran HR there for nine years, that we got to the point where we viewed HR as one of the competitive advantages that the agency had because we filled jobs quickly. We interacted with our employees very well. We, we, we actually were an HR organization that people uh, enjoyed working with and working for. 
but it takes a lot of thinking about what the customer experience is like if you're going to do that. And I don't think we're doing enough of that right now. Well, and I think what you, you just laid out for us is, is really interesting and, and kind of ties into uh, what's a big focus in government right now um, and uh, for employers across the board, really, um, because of its impact on uh, productivity, satisfaction, and other things like that. And that's the, this concept of employee engagement. Um, and, you know, what is the role of HR in, the, in that piece? What is the role of HR working with managers and agencies and, and executives and agencies? And I'm uh, interested to, to facilitate a conversation uh, or let you all go into a conversation about that employee engagement piece. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the other things that the Human Capital SIG focuses on are um, specific projects that might be able to, again, bring together industry perspectives as well as um, government best practices in, in a number of different realms. And this year, um, one of our top projects actually stems from one that was originated at the Office of Personnel Management under employee engagement. And so um, the Chico Council, in partnership with the, the Labor Management Council, kind of came up with a strategy for looking at three specific areas as it relates to employee engagement. And they've been doing a number of um, research projects, um, really benchmarking and looking at organizations who are doing things in a, in a great way to kind of collectively bring together this information and make it more relative and maybe even available on the community of practice as it relates to the um, interactive dashboard of Unlock Federal Talent, um, you know, the newest uh, online platform that's supposed to put together dashboards and creative ways of looking at data with as it relates to the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey. Well, um, one of our GAP members, um, who happens to be leading that initiative as well for government. And what is the GAP? Uh, government Advisory Panel, yes. And again, those are who we meet with, our top uh, federal human capital leaders from across government that on an annual basis and then quarterly we check mm -hmm. in with them, kind of um, give us a sense of you know what's trending, what's top of mind, what keeps them awake at night so that we're able to really be relevant and, and shape initiatives and programs around um, kind of what's top of mind across the community. And so um, we recently decided to take on a project on employee engagement that would really look at the same three areas that the Chico Council is focused on with regards to employee engagement, but flip it and focus on pulling out data and best practices and benchmarking from industry since we have access to our industry partners as well through the Human Capital SIG. So we'll really be able to bring a diverse array of perspectives and resources that will be beneficial in the federal community side um, from industry as well. And so that's kind of a benefit. And, and interestingly enough, you know, the, the human capital SIG is not the only SIG that exists at IAC. So we don't also operate in a vacuum. Um, and so, for instance, recently, the acquisition um, uh, shared interest group, well, they were actually interested in some of our um, talent acquisition and um, talent management type conversations and information that we had because they're really struggling with, and there, there was this group in particular that was looking at a project on that side mm -hmm. around... Um, employee engagement and morale and even work-life issues as it relates to the acquisition workforce um, and how you know attrition happens so frequently as folks kind of flip into and out of agencies more readily than not. And so what's trending around that? And they, they reached out to ask for some help from us. And I, I'm hoping that will result in a partnership um, as we shape some future projects and initiatives as well. That's, that's, that's really great. And, you know, I think... Uh, working together across uh, functional areas that have traditionally been somewhat siloed uh, seems like it's going to be a big key to to connecting the dots across these areas especially when you have you know talent management hr 
dealing with issues like big data that's traditionally been in either an IT or performance realm? And, you know, how do you connect those dots? And, and I think that that's a, a really interesting conversation that we are going to dive into in a greater detail after our next break. Uh, you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Are you a federal or U.S. Postal Service employee or annuitant or an active or retired member of the Uniformed Services? If so, you're eligible to apply for coverage under the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. The program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Find out how at ltcfeds.com. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal manager, you deal with a lot of information. Here's a tip on breaking through the noise. Join the Federal Managers Association to have a voice on Capitol Hill. And to get filtered news and information specific to managing your workforce, join the 50,000 other federal managers who already subscribe and read the free weekly e-report, fedmanager.com. I'm Todd Wells, Executive Director of the Federal Managers Association, and I approve this message. You are listening to Fed Talk on Federal <clears throat> News Radio, 1500 AM. We're continuing our conversation with the ACT IAC Human Capital Shared Interest Group uh, and discussing some of the cross cutting issues. Uh, that this group is tackling, uh, issues like employee engagement, big data, talent management, and how all those pieces and those big topics that are um, huge in both government and industry are uh, fitting together and what the, 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 work, the group is doing uh, with their industry and government partners to facilitate those conversations uh, and inform best practices that, that the government can learn from. And uh, Bill, would you like to, to tell us a little bit about um, what the group is working on on this, uh, this big data and talent management realm? Sure, uh, would love to do that. Uh, so in the past uh, 18 months, uh, we've actually hosted two panel discussions on uh, big data. Uh, and I know big data has become somewhat of an overused term these days, but uh, I can't think of another, <laughs> another phrase to kind of replace it at this point. Uh, but I mentioned that just to illustrate um, the intense interest uh, from both government, who who is looking to harness uh, data and data stores to make more informed decisions on how they um, uh, sort of nurture their workforce, as well as from industry, who would be delighted to uh, develop solutions and bring solutions to market to then help their government counterparts um, to uh, move forward and to really kind of sh make that shift to more kind of a predictive uh, analytics, um, um, you know, kind of operating mindset. So, uh, you know, probably one of the, um, and by the way, these two sessions, I think were our highest attended sessions in the last two to three years. It was actually pretty amazing. Um, but one of the best examples that I've heard uh, from uh, industry and how they use big data in HR um, there was a, a company that's had an example where they will actually look at the um, commute, commuting distance um, for specific employees and that they found in looking at the data that once you hit a certain threshold in terms of commute distance or time and 
you know, maybe it was something like, you know, something like beyond 30 minutes that uh, those employees um, became at greater risk of um, a decline in morale and then actually had a greater risk of leaving the organization. Uh, and so by using that kind of data they and, and to predict certain outcomes, um, they were able to actually proactively intervene and uh, work with that employee to uh, see if those commuting issues could be resolved, maybe shifting more towards a, um, a teleworking arrangement. Uh, and then therefore they were able to kind of keep um, those um, high value employees. Uh, and, um, you know, our government executives uh, would love to be able to, you know, shift to that kind of operating uh, model or paradigm. And it's not to say that there aren't government agencies who, who um, aren't are already doing it today. But one of the big ch challenges and barriers that we heard about through these um, panel discussions is that, uh, you know, while there's a lot of data out there, um, the data definitions aren't necessarily standardized or established. And therefore, there's an incredible amount of data cleansing uh, that needs to happen, right? So I guess in the spirit of um, crawling before you walk, before you run, there's a, an incredible amount of work that needs to be done to kind of clean up that data before you can move to a point where uh, you can do more of that um, predictive uh, analytics. Uh, now, while, um, while the uh, investments in big data and HR are still relatively modest, we are starting to see agencies pull together uh, cross-disciplinary teams where they bring in an industrial organizational psychologist to partner up with a data scientist to partner up with an HR subject matter expert. So the HR SME makes sure that the right questions are being asked uh, and then working with the data science uh, um, scientist and the uh, industrial organizational psychologist to then go out and run, you know, construct a program and then, you know, run some analytics uh, projects to um, to come up with some um, keen insights into how the workforce um, is uh, feeling about certain issues, how engaged are they. So again, to kind of bring it back to the earlier conversation around employee engagement, um, uh, you know, again, great potential to leverage that data out there with appropriate, um, you know, protocols in place. I mean, I don't think we want to move to a big brother here element. Um, although interestingly, I heard of uh, a new uh, company that actually will look at um, social media postings, uh, the number of updates they're making on LinkedIn, and they can actually predict now based on the volume of social media postings, whether that employee is actually looking for a job. I'm not trying to scare any of our uh, <laughs> listeners out there um, to stop posting, but again, I kind of use that as an illustrative example of some of the innovation that's happening in industry uh, and, uh, you know, government, you know, kind of bringing those innovations to government for government to consider, you know, how might we adopt appropriately, you know, some of those um, tools. One, well, you know, I think some of the issues that you you just raised on uh, kind of bringing together different kinds of subject matter experts uh, to work with HR and on these human capital issues is a really interesting uh, concept. And and Jeff, given your experience uh, inside agencies for a long period of time working on these issues, uh, I'm interested in your perspective on that challenge. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really 
Uh, it, it's really interesting when you start looking at data and how people make decisions. And there's been a, an interest in more data-driven decision-making in the human capital area for a long time, but not a lot has happened in, in the, with respect to that. And what's really interesting about it is, is there are some studies that show if you start asking people about what they know to be true, uh, and then objectively determine whether or not what they know to be true actually is true, that more than half of what we believe to be true is, is actually false. And so what we find is, is we find people, and it's not just in government, it's in the private sector too, that people in leadership roles frequently make decisions based on what they know to be true that is actually, actually false. So they may decide, for example, we have a little bit of extra money and we want to do something that will help morale in the workforce, so we're going to spend the money on, on X. But they don't go out and talk to the workforce and find out you know, what the truth really is and what would actually motivate the workforce. Or they don't go look at data that shows when you, do, when you take action A, you know, the reaction is B. And so if you, if you do one thing, you get the, the reaction that you're looking for. They don't do that. Uh, we had an example at DLA when I was there where we, we had some very bad employee survey numbers in, a, an, agent, in an activity, field activity that was actually the lowest ranked in the entire agency by its employees. And one of the things that everybody knew to be true was that because there, there were some uh, fewer opportunities, perceived to be fewer opportunities for women and minorities in the workforce in that organization, that we needed the solution to the poor morale was to do something for that group of people, uh, probably through some sort of upward mobility program. We started digging into the data on those surveys, and we had demographics on the survey respondents, and what we found when we dug into them was that women and minorities in the workforce in that organization were actually the most satisfied employees. The least satisfied employees were middle-aged white guys, and there were very large numbers of them. So if we had taken action based on what we assumed to be true, what we thought we knew, and created uh, more upward mobility programs, we would have further antagonized the middle-aged white guy group that was the least happy group in the workforce, and we would have actually made it worse. And so, so it's really critical when you're making decisions, particularly when you're making decisions that affect whether or not your agency can carry out its mission, how satisfied your employees are going to be, how engaged they're going to be, how long they're going to stay with you. When you make decisions like that, you've absolutely positively got to do it based on factual, objective data, not on what you think is true. Because what you think is true, more likely than not, is actually false. Yeah, you know, I, Jeff, I couldn't agree more with you. In fact, um, I was just reviewing some exit survey data the other day, um, and, you know, collectively we're looking at, you know, what's trending and what's going on. And it's interesting as you look across all federal agencies, how they look at the data um, and peel back the layers. And often, you know, you could find some, some really some hidden challenges and barriers in certain areas. And especially when you're kind of partnering on the diversity and inclusion side, it's really important to look at um, those smaller areas that might indicate either a problem or a challenge or opportunity that you can really, I think, target more aggressively with some specific initiatives. So it's interesting. I always go to the numbers first, you know, no matter where I am, no matter where I start with the program policy, and it could be any policy. 
um, I want to look at the data to kind of substantiate what might be going on, what might be trending. And are there indicators that can really point to a specific area of, of concern or, again, opportunity um, that you can capitalize on? So I, I definitely appreciate your comments around that. Um, so, Bill, what do, I know you're a big data uh, you know, advocate. I, I see you right now, like wanting to chime in. You want to say something again, uh, again, again? Well, I'm smiling because um, uh, it's it's good to see. You know, I think there's a perception that human capital HR. It's more, you know, the warm, fuzzy people stuff. You know, qualitative Ooh. analysis, and um, it's great to see that blend of now HR getting a little bit more quantitative and dig, digging deeper into the data. You know, maybe even challenge some traditional, you know, mindsets and perspectives. Um, and what I like is the, again, that sort of integration of the, of the facts um, and, and kind of the hard data with uh, blending that with um, taking a more uh, people-focused perspective, uh, kind of blending it with a human-centered design, uh, you know, perspective. So while I still think that government and, and frankly even industry has have ways to go uh in taking uh in designing hr programs with you know the users and the people in mind i think we are starting to see a bit of a pivot and shift um to bring that perspective to bear i know opm has been um demonstrated a lot of leadership in that area with their innovation lab if you haven't been in the opm innovation lab it's a wonderful space to be in they've got this um, fabulous green shag carpet. I think it's still there. Anyways, um, that's not incredibly relevant to this and conversation, but that's couch. what I remember about it. But um, again, you know, taking more of a design perspective, how can we um, anticipate and articulate some of those unmet user needs and design a better program, HR program from the get-go, um, but also blending that with real data and facts, um, you know, blending the, the soft stuff with the hard stuff. Um, I am really curious to see uh, how um, OPM uh, can work with government agencies to harness the what, what I believe to be the great data that they're gathering through uh, the EHRI program, you know, for example. I, I think that really kind of started out focused on, you know, personnel transaction uh, data. Um, hopefully I'm getting that right, Jeff. Uh, perhaps there's a better way of articulating it. Um, but I think there's great opportunity to harness some harness some of that data that's been you know gathered now over the last seven eight years, and let's see if we can uncover uh, other deep uh, insights um, that perhaps challenges some long held assumptions because I think that's where we can identify some real breakthroughs that can address employee morale uh, and retention issues um, in addition to uh, attracting um, great candidates to begin with. Well, yeah, certainly, and you know even if you look at things, um, I mean, of course, the weather, we all know this winter has been kind of a doozy for us on the East Coast here, <laughs> and uh, could have otherwise wreaked havoc on productivity um, if we hadn't had things like telework in place um, and other flexibilities. And so if you look at the data on the flip side and think about how you're gonna prove return on investment for some of those traditionally considered soft benefits um, and programs, and especially as we look to you know, modernizing our leave programs and thinking about ways to further expand flexibilities in order to meet those kind of goals, you know, not only attracting the next generation of Fed workers, but also how are we going to engage them and keep them and ensure that they're meeting our, um, our mission goals and being productive and accountable for federal time as well. 
um, the, all of those things point to data, right? And so the correlation between uh, those agencies that are highest on the best places to work index and those that have higher levels of telework and other flexibilities adoption, you know, they're really, the, the, the data shows that, the numbers mm -hmm. show that. And so it becomes a more strategic conversation than just rather a, oh, we want to keep our employees happy or, you know, we want to be considered a good place to work. Mm-hmm. And you know this this issue of uh, of of analyzing data in the HR realm. Uh, you know, I'm interested, Jeff, on your take. Is this is this a, a whole new skill set for for our HR practitioners in government? And uh, if so, um, what what tools is is either OPM or our agencies individually, uh, from your experience, providing to 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 make sure folks are able to uh, to do the kinds of work that that is being envisioned uh, in leveraging this kind of data to facilitate. Um, you know, whether it's the, the basic HR tasks of hiring, retaining, uh, developing employees, uh, or, you know, things like employee engagement. I think it is a new skill set for federal HR, and frankly, for HR anywhere. When you look at how HR work is done, it, it generally hasn't been a data-driven type of, of business. It's been more driven by, by metrics, like how long it takes you to fill a job or what your turnover rate is. But that's not, that's not real data. That's not telling you why it takes you so long to do something. It's not telling you why your employees are leaving. It's not telling you that your employees you know, stay a particular amount of time after they're eligible to retire. So, so when you're looking at how HR tends to look at things, it's not from a data perspective. And what I found, uh, where I found I got some of the best results with that was actually going out and hiring someone uh, when I was at the Defense Logistics Agency who was uh, a data expert who worked in our, in our um, logistics operations area. Uh, this guy knew nothing about HR other than that he was a human. But he was a data expert, and he could look at a spreadsheet or look at a, at a, at a data set and say, wow, do, do you notice over here that when this happens, that always happens? and could start drawing correlations between what the data was telling us and what kinds of things we were observing with our workforce and in the workplace. And you really need somebody who is kind of a data geek, and I, and I mean data geek in the most loving way. You need somebody who's kind of a data geek who can, who can look at this data and help you understand what it can tell you. And in some cases, what the data is already screaming at you, if you would just look. And so I, I do think it's a different mindset, it's a different skill set, and, and we should look outside of the, the HR community for that kind of, of talent uh, and then hire those people into HR. Uh, and if you do that, you can get some really interesting things going. Great. But you really need those people in, 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 in the organization all the time. Well, thank you for that example, and I think we'll we'll continue that discussion after our uh, a word from our sponsor as we enter the uh, the last segment of our conversation here. Uh, you are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. 
Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're entering the last segment of the show. Before the break, we were talking about uh, data analytics and, and the, that as being a, a relatively new tool in the, the HR toolkit. And uh, while we were on the break, uh, Mika was, was telling us here in the studio that, that, that this is kind of a new competency area for HR and, uh, and, and an area of focus uh, from both OPM and within agencies. So it's so interested to see uh, hear what you've been seeing on that front. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, just again, what Jeff was saying really resonated with me. Um, I love the idea of bringing in those kind of experts into the human capital arena so that you can get a more diverse perspective and, uh, you know, the competencies that you need that you need to really do some strong program management. But um, the other thing is, is to keep in mind, and this is a conversation we've had also with our GAP members and also just people who are interested in, in this kind of work is thinking about how we're going to round out and continue developing the competencies that already exist um, in with human capital professionals and how are you going to continue expanding that so that they can meet the future demands of where we're going. Um, and so I found it uh, a great resource. Uh, the Office of Personal Management about a year and a half ago um, decided to host a webinar. So it was virtual, um, which is great. It allowed expanded access for all of the telework program managers. And really, they did a deep dive. Um, and I can give a, a shout out to Kim Wells, Dr. Kim Wells, um, who, who did that. Um, to show these HR staff and professionals who are typically responsible for, you know, responding to the data call that goes also to not only to OPM, but also to Congress, um, how to find the information they need and what to do with it. So, you know, how do you access FedScope data and how do you set measurable goals and objectives and then kind of track your programs against those? And so how do you use the data that are needed to just become more effective with your human capital strategy? So I really appreciated that initiative that OPM put together, and I think they're continuing to do that more and more. Um, and I think we need to look, you know, introspectively, too, within our organizations on how we're going to be able to foster and develop the competencies of our already existing human capital staff, really to think about doing things differently and, and, and you know, transforming what we need for the future. Yeah, and so um, actually in the month of April, so here comes our shameless plug for an upcoming act IHECT event, but in the month of April, uh, we're actually going to pull together uh, a panel uh, discussion to um, explore uh, credentialing and certification of uh, HR professionals across uh, the federal government. Um, there are uh, pockets of agencies who have academies or HR academies who are trying to establish baseline competencies um, and skills, um, not just more in the transactional or compliance standpoint, but uh, to build competencies more in a, from a consulting and an advisory standpoint. Uh, so they can be more value add uh, to the constituents um, that they serve. Uh, and so some of the, you know, overarching questions that the panel's going to grapple with is, you know, how might, how might government develop uh, credentials or even micro-credentials for HR and training professionals? Again, on the private industry side, there's, I'm starting to see a shift towards non-traditional degrees, developing micro-credentials and badges, right? So you might get a badge on your LinkedIn profile that's kind of been validated and authenticated, you know, do we want to adopt, you know, a similar model uh, in the federal government? If so, what would the role of OPM be, right? Is it to establish the standards and the baseline? And do they do the certifying? Do they do that through HR University? Or do they give delegated certification authority to other uh, agencies? Um, we're going to be exploring these, you know, topics and subtopics uh, in depth um, in the month of April. Uh, another great thing that 
uh, ACT IACT is doing kind of at a broader standpoint, not just within the human capital SIG, um, but um, through other some of the big events, is um, not just bringing together panel <laughs> discussions to talk about and even pontificate about these topics, but it's actually to get uh, industry and government together to uh, ideate and think through specific solutions that can address those challenges. So at the Executive Leadership Conference last fall, uh, and uh, actually earlier this week with the Acquisition Excellence Conference, um, I was actually involved in designing and facilitating innovation challenge zones where at the end of 60 minute, 90 minute sessions, we actually walked out with specific solutions that are now going to be piloted by government and potentially industry to address those particular challenges. Uh, and at MOC this summer and ELC later this fall, uh, they're actually going to report on the progress of those particular initiatives. So again, what's great about ACT IACT is again, moving from just you know talking about it, but actually rolling up our sleeves and coming up with ideas that we can then go implement. Yeah. And, and MOC and ELC, those are annual conferences, by the way, that are really open to everyone. And I just got involved last year. So um, that's a excellent, but you tell you what ELC is. I don't want to misspeak. Executive leadership <laughs> Thank conference. Thank you. Yeah, and then the management uh, of, change. of change. And the management of change yeah. is particularly focused on people, right? So the broader topic of IT transformation, but it's kind of shifting the dialogue from, uh, it's not just about the technology solution, but it's about the people that actually uh, go out and implement and make it happen. And again, there's gonna be some more innovation challenge zones to come up with some specific uh, solutions. Yeah, and just, you know, from a Fed um, human capital uh, specialist myself perspective, I just wanna mention, you know, I've been involved in ACT IAC and went to both of these um, conferences, but only in the, about, uh, in the last year and a half. And I found it extremely valuable for my own skill set and my own professional development really to understand the different diverse perspectives that are out there outside of just the human capital framework. So I often encourage my human capital um, colleagues to really think about getting outside of the box and outside of the traditional, you know, HR, HC type training and think about how you can broaden that conversation ac across disciplines. It really, I think, um, lends value. Great. Well, and thanks for that. We're, we're entering our last few minutes here. And I know that Jeff, uh, on your blog, chiefhro.com, you've been talking about some of these issues and just wanted to give you a moment to let folks know where they can go to, to hear more of your thoughts on this uh, before we wrap up here. Might Jeff, Jeff, Jeff yeah. might have, have fallen yeah. off the line, but again, his, his blog is uh, chiefhro.com. Um, and uh, for, for the additional resources that we've been talking about today, our guests are able to go online to ACT IAC's or, uh, website at actiac.org. Uh, you can go on there and find information about this shared interest group as well as the others. But uh, in our last two minutes here, um, Bill and Mika, are there any other uh, parting thoughts uh, for our listeners before we uh, head into this weekend where we're hopefully uh, going to be seeing some warmer weather here? Well, again, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting us to uh, come share some information and have this conversation. And I do encourage everyone to think about getting involved. Um, if you're interested in learning more, we have our next monthly event actually next Thursday. Um, and so you can find that information on the website that you cited, or you can find either one of us on LinkedIn or Twitter. We're tweeting right now even. Um, so I, I do want to just encourage people to get involved in, and come out and see what the Human Capital SIG is all about. We're really expanding, and there's lots of great opportunities to have um, your voice heard and also suggest uh, other panelists and other topics that we can focus on throughout the year. 
And it sounds like we got Jeff back on the line. So oh, uh, in our last minute and a half here, I'll just give you a, a, a quick second here to uh, to let folks know uh, where they can can hear more from you on, on your blog. Uh, just check out my blog at chiefhro.com. And also most of my blog posts are reposted on Federal News Radio every week. Great. And and Bill, any any other last thoughts that you'd like to, to offer up for our listeners here? Uh just that uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, to work with Mika and Jeff and uh, all of our government industry uh, counterparts. A uh, lot of uh, energy and enthusiasm, uh, again, to take advantage of um, some of the great tools and techniques that we're seeing out there on both sides to um, uh, move the conversation forward uh, and um, help human capital, people programs, learning, realized its fullest potential. Um, you know, government, um, uh, um, you know, what I love about government is what I like to call the purity of the mission. And um, I've seen uh, so many amazingly talented people who uh, are there to serve and anything we can do to uh, make it the best place to work is uh, certainly worth pursuing. Great. Well, thanks again, all of our guests from ACT-IAC. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend.